Welcome to another edition of Dentalpreneur Secrets, and I am so excited to have you here today. And by the time we finish our conversation, you're going to know everything you need to know about insurance and really how to use it as a tool to grow your revenue in your practice. You're going to walk away with some actionable ideas to help you focus on your business and focus on that top line revenue. And you're going to feel empowered to make even better decisions around your insurance. And we have a fantastic guest for you today. I am so excited. We've got Nick Partridge, founder and president of Five Lakes Dental Solutions. And he helps dentists just like you develop, implement, and manage an insurance participation program for your practice that's going to help you attract patients, retain patients, and more importantly, maximize your reimbursements. Nick, welcome to the show. Tim, thanks so much. I'm really excited to be here today. And I I very much appreciate the opportunity to sit down and chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we are talking about something so important for, for you listening today. And that is insurance. And insurance is mystifying. It's, you know, sometimes confusing, but it also is a big driver of revenue. And so, you know, just as a little background, tell us a little bit how you got started and and why you do what you do. Yeah. So, uh, gosh, we've been doing this for quite a while now, uh, almost 11 years. Uh, What happened was uh, I I started a a company with some friends of mine and uh, we were trying to uh, create a, de- a dental benefit plan that would compete with dental insurance. And it was really a self-funded plan. So we were acting with the TPA. Uh, and so I was going out and trying to recruit dentists into our network. And uh, I realized that they didn't have a, a strong command of insurance. You know, we were trying to figure out, did we need to have a lot of employees in our program to attract a lot of dentists or did we need to have a lot of dentists to attract a lot of employers? And it was kind of a chicken and the egg. And so I was always afraid when I would go and try to get dentists to join our network of the question of how many employees will you have that, can I, that I can make patients in my office, right? And what's, what's, my, what's the upside for me? Because the answer was not enough, right? We were just getting started. And not, no one ever asked me that question. And so ultimately, you know, we ended up closing the business down. We, we didn't get enough employers to come on board. Uh, but the, the, the result of that was that I felt that there was a really an opportunity to help dental practices think more strategically about insurance because I felt like insurance was growing and it was going to become a much more significant force in their practice. And I was, you know, working with benefits brokers all day on pitching employers and, and helping them with those proposals. And I just felt like that the mood, the market was changing such that um, dentists needed to be better prepared for, for dealing with insurance. And so, uh, so here, you know, here we are almost 11 years later and we serve uh, over a thousand clients across all 50 states. Well, right. You talk about dealing with insurance. And I know, right, if you're listening to this, you may be thinking, I've got a front desk, I've got an office manager, they're dealing with insurance for me. So, so what do you mean when you start saying thinking systematically and proactively about your insurance and the participation? What does that look like? Well, if I start at the beginning, if you know, when, when you say insurance, and I'm sure this resonates with you, I mean, when you say the word insurance, people just naturally kind of purse up, right? Nobody likes to talk about insurance because it, it never covers enough and it always costs too much, right? We could be talking about homeowner's insurance or life insurance or car insurance or dental insurance, right? Or health insurance, you name it. So, uh, so, so naturally there's this kind of inclination 
especially in dental practices, because as you know, in a PPO environment, the insurance companies to participate require that you take a lower fee as payment in full. So to do that, you've got to jump through some hoops, you know, filing claims and getting paid and submitting records and all that stuff. And, and then you end up getting a lower amount, right? And so, so there's this natural kind of, um, I don't want to call it like animosity, but there's this just natural maybe feeling of, uh, you know, I'm not crazy about this whole thing. And so, uh, but, but at, at its core, dental insurance works really well, right? So dental insurance was designed as a benefit for employees. And what's been proven out over time is that people with dental insurance are two and a half times more likely to visit the dentist. And so from the employer's perspective, that's what they were looking to accomplish. What do I wanna do as an employer? I want my, my employees to go to the dentist and get their regular care. And I'd like to help you know, with some kind of program that would offset the cost or help reduce the cost, right? And that's what it was designed for, those two things. So very simply, it, it actually works really well. And what you'll find is that it drives a lot of patient visits. So as much as we don't like in the dental world, dealing with dental insurance, it drives a lot of patient visits. Now, the application of dental insurance across the industry is where you start to have challenges, right? Because of the way it works and, and who it favors and things like that. So um, so I think if, if we think about dental insurance intrinsically being a pretty good offering in terms of getting people to the dentist and helping reduce cost, then we have to start thinking about, okay, well, what do we need to know about dental insurance to to harness the value in, in seeing, um, seeing some of those patient visits, right? And, and so if you look across the landscape today, you're gonna find that, I saw this study recently from Guardian, it said that 85% uh, of their members go to an in-network dentist. So without getting too, throwing too many numbers around, the numbers have grown. So when we started the company in 2010, uh, the numbers have grown such that now 80% of Americans have a dental benefit. So you have 80% of Americans with a dental benefit. They go to the dentist more frequently. And when they go to the dentist, almost always they choose an in-network dentist, right? So you've got this, this mounting kind of force that the dentists have to kind of deal with today, which in the past they didn't have to. And so getting back to your question was, I, I think the change has been A, the prevalence of dental uh, benefits, right? It's it's so much more prevalent today than it was 10 or 15 years ago. And uh, what's happened was a lot of the plans originally were indemnity plans, which meant, hey, we'll, we'll just reimburse you, go to any dentist that you choose, and we'll reimburse you. And the dentist would file his or her claim at their office rate and be reimbursed accordingly. And that's been almost pretty much wiped out. Uh, I think dental indemnity plans represent only a few percent of the market anymore. It's been almost fully replaced by PPOs, which do require you to take that reduced rate. So you've got this uh, prevalence of dental benefits. You've got the fact that it used to be easier to work with because you got your full fee. Now you don't, you get, you get much less than your full fee. And, and so these compounding factors have really made it, uh, have really brought it to the forefront, I think, in a dental office. Well, well, and I just want to pause there because those statistics are, are, are mind blowing, Nick, right? 80% of the population has dental insurance and they are two and a half times more likely to go to the dentist versus 20% of the population 
that doesn't have that two and a half times as likely. And like you said, right, if you're in this world, if you're a dentist, you want to be playing with that 80% who's more likely to show up, right? You want to attract them. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, what's happened over time and, and you, you know, is arguably a, a lot of people are chasing a small piece of the pie, right? And so from a standpoint of go, going in network, it just made sense because as so many offices were fee for service and, and then that market started to dwindle, um, you know, I, I read uh, from Levin's study in, in dental economics, I think 10% of offices today are fee for service. Wow. Um, so, so a lot of people just started going in network to, to, to have access to those patients. And, and so then all of a sudden you had this, this like tsunami almost where uh, there was just this flood of people going in network. I mean, if you look at the statistics from a pick a dental network, Guardian, Aetna, Cigna, Delta, um, th their network size has grown dramatically over the past 10 years, right? So we used to be in a situation where they'd have maybe 200,000 access points. It's over 400,000 access points. I mean, they've probably doubled, right? I'd have to go back and give you the exact numbers, but, but my hunch is, you know, you've seen near doubling of the dental networks over the last 10 years in size. Oh, right, so, so we've got these networks, we should go join them. And, and, and you and I were talking earlier about a startup practice that you were working with. And this doctor really wanted to be in network because she understood the benefits. And there was a special patient that she wanted to be, have in network, mainly a family member. And so, so she consulted with you. And, and, and what happened through that? What, what was that process like? Yeah, well, so I think, um, I think our message is, you know, because of this, it's, being in network now is not a differentiator like it used to be. And so, and, and the insurance companies are continuing to do things to drive their claims costs down, right? Which is the majority of their, where their money goes. So, uh, so you've got to do it better. You've got to be smarter about what you're doing as it relates to insurance. And so that's what we do. And we had a woman that we worked with and she's a longtime client, one of my favorites, uh, and when she was starting out, she said, hey, my aunt is in this plan. I got to be in this plan. I want my aunt to come see me and be in network. And so we said, okay. So I said, I don't think that that's a good move. There's a number of adverse consequences in working with this specific insurance company. But, you know, I, I understand what you're trying to say. Let's, let's evaluate. If, you'll t if, if we do this up, up front, tell me that we can come back later on and reevaluate this decision because I think it would be cheaper for you to just give her dental care, or, you know, give her 50% off uh, than it would be for you to do this, right? And she said, okay, you know, deal. So we came back after a year. We said, okay, look, here's how your first year went. And we said, this is what it looked like. And this is how many patients you attracted in these different plans. And here's what the reimbursements were. And I said, now look at what happened with this particular network because it had. And so what happened is you actually got in network with more, more networks and it was at a lower rate than you could have gotten had you gone in those networks directly. And so it ended up costing her a ton of money, right? I think it ended up costing her like 12 or 14 grand in her first year. And so we said, it would have been much cheaper. She could have had nearly a full mouth reconstruction, you know, at no cost uh, had you not decided to do this, you know? So we, we ended up making the right decision and we got out of it, but um, it, it begs the question. I mean, over time, dentists have joined plans for a variety of reasons, right? So, uh, you know, perhaps you're slow, uh, you know, the number of new patients is down. 
And so you say, well, let's, let's, let's join something. Um, perhaps a school district in the area said, hey, you know, we're switching to this plan. So you joined it, but that was four plans ago. Now they, you know, they're out, they were in Cigna and then they went to Aetna and then they went to MetLife and now they're with Delta and you're still in that legacy plan from before, right? So people join plans for a variety of different reasons. And what we're trying to, to really espouse is to have a strategy. You can't look at this and just set it and forget it. You know, it'd be like, hey, I'm just going to advertise, you know, take, go back to 1990 and say, I'm just going to advertise in the newspapers. That's all I'm going to do. That's my strategy, right? And then and now it's two, 2020 and I'm sitting here going, man, I'm not getting any new patients anymore. What's going on? My marketing's not working. Like you, you can't do that with insurance because it's so fluid. It's always changing because employers are changing plans because insurance companies are changing the way that they operate. And your market is changing. New practices are opening up or they're relocating or they're being acquired. And now they're part of a DSO. And there's all this uh, fluidity to the market that you have to address on a regular basis. Because it, like we talked about at the beginning here, probably a majority of your patients have insurance, whether you're in network or not. And so if you looked at where your revenue comes from, checks in the door, it's gotta be 40, 50, 60 or higher a percentage of your total revenue in. And so that means that requires some attention, right? That warrants some significant attention every year to come in and look and say, hey, where am I at? Am I aligned to my market? Am I doing this the right way in, in such a manner that helps me facilitate my objectives? Because we're not saying join every plan. We're saying do what's right for your market and your practice, given where you're at and what your goals are. And that's what we help you do. You're right, because it doesn't necessarily make sense just to join every plan or, or join the one that your aunt has, because that can lead to some bad consequences. But there's also an upside to this too, right? This can serve as a way to help attract new patients and actually grow your top line revenue. You have an example of how that works in maybe a, a good case study and not one of the, the, the horror stories that are out there, a good success story that you can share with us? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's really interesting. So, um, one of the things that I think has been most interesting as a business owner doing this for the last 10, 11 years is that at the end, at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're, I love working with business owners, right? So I love working with dentists. I like, you know, we're a small business, they're a small business. And it, I just, I really enjoy that. And I get to see a lot of the emotion that goes into these decisions, just like I experienced it in my own business, right? Should we, expand our square footage because we're going to, we anticipate growing, right? And I'm going to make a big financial commitment. Should we put this new um, system into our company? It's going to cause a lot of disruption. We're going to have to do a lot of training, but it's going to be worth it, right? Um, you know, I have a performance issue with this employee. What are we going to do about it? We really like, you know, so there's all these things that that I, I've experienced as a business owner that I, that I share with our dentist clients and, and one of them is around managing their revenue, right? Because what, what happens is a lot of times, and you know, in today's world, people come in, they say, look, I want, I want to increase my rates. I want to get more money from the insurance companies and I want to do this right now. And it's like, well, okay. So it takes, it takes time, right? You, over the course of your practice career, you have uh, ended up here, right? For us to go in and evaluate where you're at, 
in the context of your market and then make some decisions about how to optimize and align you with your market and then make all those changes happen with the insurance companies takes a while, right? We oftentimes will advocate that it takes a plan for about a year to get your insurance all set up the way you want it to be, right? So we're going to undo and redo and sometimes keep things that you've been doing to get it optimized for a year. And then when you, we make these changes, then it also has, takes time to take effect, right? So like if we're going to add a plan, patients don't come to the dentist like they go to the grocery store, right? So if I say, hey, we do the study in the market, we say, oh, there's a really good opportunity for you to join Guardian in this market, right? So you, you don't have very many Guardian patients today. And so while we're going to be giving those people a discount now that they were not getting before, and there's a cost associated with that, so we need, to, we need to get to a break even. We need to attract this many patients to break even. We think we can go way beyond that. So we join, right? And then we watch and we measure the results for our clients. And what happens is over time, you're going to see that number in many cases go, go in the right direction, right? So we've had situations where clients have joined plans and they've added hundreds of patients. You know, So if you do marketing, on top of joining a plan, it even further exacerbates it where you can have really good numbers. And so we've had clients who say, hey, listen, you know, if I'm patient over the course of time, I've seen tremendous results. Growing in the plans we've joined, maybe paring back and, and leaving some of the plans that aren't necessary or aren't appropriate for your market, um, increasing your reimbursements in different areas. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. We've seen significant uh, improvement in, in practices in terms of, but but I want to I want to say that in the context of it doesn't happen overnight because if I'm I was just at the dentist uh, two months ago. If if I didn't have a good experience and I'm in the market for a dentist, I'm not back in the market for like another four to five months. And if I'm shopping, I'm probably not going to hit my six month number perfectly, right? Like if I'm going to the same dentist, they pre-appoint you you're back in six months, almost to the day, right? But if I'm shopping, it's something I'm putting off, right? Because I'm like, oh yeah, I got, that's something I got to do. That means I got to get online. I got to look at a couple of websites. I got to ask some, my neighbors or my coworkers or my family, like who they recommend. It's, it's a project, right? So, so you're going to go less often. So for you to join a plan and then to get the word out there that you're now in that plan and then for people to start responding accordingly and, and coming in, it takes time, right? So this is a, when I talk about a participation strategy, I'm talking about a strategy because I'm talking about a, a longer term time horizon. To do it right isn't something that you just come in and do and fix in three months. It doesn't work that way. This is something that we're going to work on for like a, a good couple of years to get you up and running and, and moving as efficiently as possible, as profitably as possible. And then guess what? We're constantly evaluating it because like I said, all these, all the, all the in, uh, inputs into these decisions constantly change. So you're sitting there and, and you're just monitoring this and you're making changes and, and then your practice changes. You say, hey, things are going so well, I'm gonna add an associate. Okay, great. All right, that's a new wrinkle, right? So we've got a lot of situations where the provider then, the owner or provider says, oh, this is an opportunity for me to pair back in my insurance and we're gonna load up the associate and they're gonna take a bunch of plans so that we still get the new patient flow coming in but I get to work on my patients uh, who I've got good, deep relationships with, and I can do it a little bit more profitably. And so that brings up another 
opportunity, right? So you're going to hit life cycle moments too in your practice where your goals are going to change or your realities are going to change. And so those are also additional inputs into the, into the equation. Yeah, I mean, right, this is so different from the idea of you just join a couple plans and you just kick back for the next couple of years where everything comes in. This is an active strategy where you really are analyzing what's going on in your practice. Where are the patients coming from? Are they the right kind of patients? And always updating and making changes. So I love that you talk about it really is a strategy. It's not a a one-time thing. This is a a process and a continual process, much like good wealth planning, right? You always are updating things because life isn't static. Things change and you always want to be on top of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think of our, it's so funny because one of the reasons I was really excited about doing this and, and about our, our relationship is just that uh, I, I, I think there's a lot of parallels between financial planning and what we do because you can't execute without a plan. I don't know anybody who, who uh, got wealthy without a plan, right? Unless, I mean, like, unless you're born into it, right? So, uh, so you have to have a plan and, and I think we facilitate that wealth building, right? That wealth accumulation. So part of our our plan is based on how do we drive revenue to the practice? How do we we increase the income so the doctor can do more from a wealth building standpoint, right? And, And maybe their desire is to buy other practices or it's to buy real estate or it's to invest in the market or it's to do whatever with, you know? But but that's the objective is that we help in that process. And, and, and to do that, just like in financial planning, you got to have a plan. Yep. Yeah. You got to have a roadmap. You got to know where you're going, right? Look at where you are now, where you want to go. And then what are those gaps, right? And how, and more importantly, how do you start closing those gaps? Right. Right. So when it, when it comes to the insurance, I, I know a lot of times I've heard people wonder, you know, can you negotiate these with these companies? How do you negotiate with these companies? How do you leave a plan? And, and right, how do you join a plan, right? How many plans are, are out there? And, and so, you know, why is this something that maybe my front desk shouldn't be doing? Why would I consider, you know, working with someone like you as opposed to doing it in-house? That's a good question. We get that a lot. So, uh, I mean, I think what the the scenario that I want to paint here is, is who you're up against, right? So we work with the insurance companies and they're wonderful people, right? So I, I think when we think about this, we get frustrated, oh, they denied this claim and oh, they made me do this or that, or they took money back uh, or they, they shortchanged my, my, uh, my last claim check or whatever, but they're good people. And uh, they're out to, to provide affordable care for their members, right? That's what they're trying to do according to the plan that usually is purchased by the employer. So you have this really strange dynamic where the patient and the doctor are engaged in treatment, but they got there because they had coverage through their employer with an insurance company, right? And so like you have kind of uh, non-integrated parts kind of dictating the, the situation. And so it creates for some disconnects. And so as we look at this, we say, okay, you're up against these really big companies and they're changing the rules on a regular basis, right? And we've talked about all these things that are changing. So how are you going to dedicate the time to do this? Because MetLife is a $50 billion company. Now, I didn't look at their market share here recently. That's just a, you know, I'm, I'm ballparking it. They're big, right? They're very big. They're, they're Goliath. 
in your day, but you're about a million dollar, $2 million practice. So they've got way more resources at their disposal. They've got way more access to information at their disposal than you do. So how, how are you going to task someone in your office to spend a few hours to get this thing figured out? Right. It, it, it's not, um, not to say that there haven't been people that have been successful doing that, but we've talked to tons and tons of, of people on the phone on a regular basis who say, I have tried to do this. My doctor tasked me with this. I've been researching this for months. Or when they sit down and we, we go through our uh, analysis with them, much like you would show them a financial plan, they say, oh my God, it would have taken me six months to put this together, to go and collect all this information and to assemble it in, and analyze it in this fashion. I don't know that I would be able to do that, right? And so I'm not saying that people at the front desk or people that are tasked with you know, revenue cycle responsibilities in a practice can't do this. I'm just saying it's not efficient to do it that way. You know, we, we have clients in all 50 states. We work with every insurance company. Uh, we've seen and done uh, a tons to be able to give people strategic guidance along, hey, don't do that. That's, you know, that, we, that hasn't worked out well for people or do that. That's great. We can, you know, we, we try not to reinvent the wheel, right? So you're not the first person who's, who's uh, facing this dilemma or this challenge. And so we can help you. And we can help you because we work with all these insurance companies across clients you know, all over the country. So, um, so we kind of level the playing field a little bit with MetLife. Now we don't share fee schedules. We, we don't say, okay, well, uh, you know, this, this office over here got this. And so you should be able to get this. Um, but we, we do have a, a sense of, you know, kind of what is reasonable for the area, given our ability to analyze statistics as well. Um, so, you know, every practice we, we deal with individually, um, but, um, but we really help level the playing field because it is complicated. It's not just about negotiating. So yes, we do negotiate. Yes, most insurance companies will negotiate with you. But it depends on a variety of different factors. Well, I was in a negotiation the other day with the, t- with the team because the doctor said, hey, I really want to get my, my team's input on what we should be negotiating. Right? And they said, okay, well, we want to negotiate these codes. And I said, okay, well, let's, I tell you what, let's let the data bear it out. Okay, so send me your production for the last 12 months. And we looked at the production for the last 12 months. And I said, now send me the list of the codes that you feel like we should negotiate. And they didn't match up at all, hmm. right? So what you want to be doing is you want to be focusing on the codes that are going to drive the most value, right? So don't go and negotiate hmm. code that is downgraded, right? So a lot of times what will happen is insurance companies, so fillings are oftentimes downgraded. Okay, so if you go and negotiate the filling code, well, all you've done is create a bigger uh, IOU for the patient because they're, the insurance company is not reimbursing off that anyway, right? So the insurance company will say, yeah, sure, I'll negotiate that, right? You want to take that from 200 to 250? No problem, because they don't actually pay on that code. So all you've done is make the difference between what the patient owes substantially more. So there's things like that that you want to factor in, or there's codes that just, you know, uh, doctor wanted to do dentures. And I'm like, doctor, if you look at the production, 12 sets of dentures last year, why are we doing dentures? We're not going to negotiate that because you're just wasting an opportunity. They're going to increase you here at the expense of somewhere that's more valuable, right? So there's, so yes, you can negotiate, um, but, but how you negotiate, what you negotiate, where you're negotiating from, um, what you're using to, to, to make your case, all those things matter. Um, and so, uh, so we help try to do that. We've got a 20-point process that we go through, basically answering all these questions about what we're trying to accomplish, you know, what we're willing to risk, 
um, what we think is reasonable, what our, you know, um, why we feel that way, what codes are going to drive the most value. And so, you know, all these different things. So we, we really hammer it pretty thoroughly. Yeah, excellent. You know, and, and as you and I are talking, Nick, here, uh, Dan Sullivan, the famous business coach of Strategic Coach and one of the granddaddies of coaching, right? Deep experiences. His latest book is out, and it's a concept that he teaches to his coaching clients. And the name of the book is called Who, Not How. And I just absolutely love that. Oh, how funny is that? There you go. Read that one? Yeah, that, that <laughs> one right there. You just got it. And Ben Harding writes the intro, right? It's so Good, right? You want to focus on the who can do this for you, not the how. And, and I always find there's kind of two kinds of dentists in the world. And if you're listening to this, you're probably going to identify either as a clinician and your job is to go in and go do dentistry and go home, or you're going to identify as a business owner, as the entrepreneur. And if you're that entrepreneur, if you're that business owner, you know the importance of, of like Nick just showed, finding the who not the how. And if you're looking for, for that ability to, to negotiate, to get the insurance, to really build that strategy, then you want to find the who. You don't want to work on the how. Let, let someone else do it for you so you can focus on your business. How funny is you got that book? I just pre-ordered mine too. Tim, I'm, so I'm a big Dan Sullivan fan. I agree. Uh, I was in Strategic Coach last year and uh, I, I really espouse a lot of the values. Um, I, so I couldn't agree with you more. And I, what's funny to me is, is you recognize that when you talk to folks, right? And I, I'm that way too, right? I think business, I think as a good business owner, you have some responsibility to be a, a steward of your own, uh, of your own assets, right? So there's some times where I'm like, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to figure it out, right? I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to invest whatever time it takes because it means a lot to me. We just had a client in New York do the same thing. He calls up, he says, listen, I've been working on this. I have six practices. I've been working on this for my one practice. I'm like 45 days in, I've got all these offers from the insurance companies. And he's like, I'm just a little worried that I might mess it up. I've gotten this far, but like, I don't know what to do next. You know, he's like, can you help me on this one and just make sure I got it right? And we're like, yeah, of course. Right. Like the last, I I don't want you to make you dependent on me. That's not the objective, right? The objective part of this is part of a teacher is, we want to teach you along the way. Our, a, a big facet of our program is education, is training. Uh, and so, so absolutely. And, and so turns out he brings on his other offices. He he's, we're in regular communication. He's a fantastic guy. And he's always uh, saying, man, I'm so glad that I, I got you guys in to take me over the, the edge here. And then look, you know, because of what you were able to show me, I learned a, a lot more. I, did, I thought I knew a lot but I only knew a fraction and you opened up this whole world to me. And, you know, and so I'm very happy to bring, happy to bring all my other offices over so that I know that they're being well taken care of. Yeah, absolutely. No, so, so true. So, you know, let's touch on the pandemic, right? We're, we're still in the midst of a pandemic here. And I know, you know, I'm kind of wondering, and you may be wondering too, well, you know, what's happening with the benefits world right now, right? We've got lots of layoffs, unemployment going lower. Have you seen that have any of an impact in terms of what networks to go to and which ones not to? Yeah, it's been really interesting. I tell you, uh, that this is uh, the, the, perfect example for you that you can't set it and forget it because what's happened over the last year has been really um, unprecedented, I think, with insurance companies. So a lot of insurance companies have reached out to help. They've done a lot of different financial programs. 
Um, 28 different insurance companies offered PPE reimbursement programs. Um, so there's been a lot of different things that insurance companies have tried to do. Um, at the same time, some of the insurance companies have taken a much more aggressive stance and they've reduced rates or they've stopped negotiating or you know, they've, their, their timelines to process applications has been expanded because of the fact that people are working from home. Um, so depending on which insurance company you're talking about, you've seen all kinds of different things happen. And um, you know, in, this is in the same time that practices were shut down and they come back and they have all these PPE requirements. And so while the insurance companies were very, um, very aggressive about coming in and helping out, most of their programs were temporary. But the PPE requirements aren't going to go anywhere, right? So most of the PPE programs have at this point expired, but doctors are still buying and wearing lots and lots of PPE. And so you have this very kind of challenging situation in which um, you've, you're bearing these new PPE costs and capacity is down. A lot of times offices were having either a hard time getting PPE or staff, right? And, and maybe a lot of their staff didn't come back, so they had to start over. So there's a lot of training involved and all that. Or they're putting people in positions that they weren't ready to be in yet. Maybe, hey, I need you to go to the front desk. Okay, I don't know anything about the front desk, but I'll, you know, I'll give it a shot. Um, and so, um, so it's a challenging environment. And then you have demand, which uh, the ADA is saying is right about 80% of what it used to be uh, pre-pandemic, right? So you have a reduction in capacity, you have a reduction in demand, you have an increase in costs. Um, and so it's just, it's a challenging environment in an environment that was already in a situation where DSOs were growing rapidly, right? So there's consolidation happening. Uh, and so, uh, and, and insurance companies are acting, just kind of doing what they normally do, right? Changing the rules. And so, uh, so it's very difficult. And so we've had a lot of offices uh, react uh, in different ways. So we've had fee for service that have said, you know what? This is it. I feel bad. I know a lot of my patients have lost their jobs, and so I want to go and network um, because I want to. I want to be able to offer more affordable care. You know, I want to. I want to help do what I can to get them to feel comfortable to come in and see me and and go and network. We've had off offices at the same time have said, "Hey, I can no longer support these insurance reimbursement rates because I just have all these costs, and now I my schedule is smaller than it used to be. I can't see as many people." And so I want to get off some of these plans, you know. So we're we're going through that. So uh, the reactions have been have been mixed, as you might expect. And but they've been but there's certainly been a lot of reactions. There's been a lot of activity around where where your practice what's your practice at now, and how does that change from where we were? And does that change our expectations? Does that mean we need to do something different? Um, so it's been uh, it's been a very very busy year. Yeah. Well, right. And, and, and what I really hear is now's an opportune time to take a look at your plans and what's going on. And, and, and are the ones you're in still meeting your requirements? Are there, are there better plans that you can get maybe with employers who have businesses that are booming instead of some of these businesses that have not been able to reopen up to full capacity? So, the, so there may be a real opportunity to, to look at what's going on in your practice. And it sounds like now's an opportune time to do that. Yeah, we, you know, we, it's interesting because if you look at the, the, the who has dental benefits, um, virtually because of Medicaid's expansion, virtually every child has under 18 has a benefit. So I think it's like 90 something percent. 
And then most of the people that are 18 to 65 have benefits from work. And those are the people that we're not quite sure about, right? We, you know, the um, unemployment rate spiked and then, you know, a lot of people went back to work and now it's kind of ebbing and flowing along. Um, so we're not kind of sure where that's going to settle and what the impact is going to be. And then if you look at it 65 and over, because there's no Medicaid and Medicare dental benefit, uh, those people oftentimes don't have benefit plans, you know, dental benefits. So one of the things we're espousing, regardless of whether or not uh, you make a move or make a change with insurance is number one is look at your office fees. Make sure that your office fees are set appropriately. And, and that's probably the time to start working in some of the costs that you're bearing relative to PPE. And number two is make sure that you have a membership plan in place at the office. Because if there are folks that, that lose their benefits or didn't have benefits to start, at least give them some kind of alternative option with a membership plan in, in your practice. Yeah, we know good, good words of wisdom. And, uh, and you know, I, I think, you know, once again, as I'm kind of listening to this and, and going through it, you know, one of the things we do here at Dentalpreneur Advisors is, is we help you build an amazing life of significance. And we define that when you can do three things really well. You can take care of the people you love. You can support the causes you care about and really make that difference in the world. And to have those three things going, one of the things that drives that is wealth creation, right? Being able to build wealth, being able to build that business. And this strategy is so much more than just, you know, increasing your revenues a little bit because it's going to do a whole lot more. Not only is it going to increase your revenues, but if you're getting closer to exiting, what's that going to do to the practice valuations, Nick? Yeah, great point, right? So there's a value in streamlining the administration of this, okay? So you have all these plans and some you don't need to be in, some you might need to be in, right? And so we're gonna look at that. We're gonna clean that up. Every time that you don't have to be in a plan, it saves you another fee schedule to manage, another recredentialing app that you have to do, right? And so we're, we wanna make sure that we're efficient in our participation. We don't wanna just be in everything for the sake of being in everything. We wanna make sure that we're aligned to the market. Then when you uh, can do that, then what you're looking at doing is trying to um, increase your rates, right? So, so once you've got your market, your participation set up right, then you're gonna increase your rates, which is gonna drive revenue to the bottom line because there's not additional costs associated with that. To your point then, when you sell it, so, so not only are you going to benefit from having kind of an, an, a streamlined administration, right? It's easier to administer these plans. You're going to have incremental revenue, which is going to drive wealth creation. But then when you go and sell the practice, that bottom line has a multiplying effect too, because practices are selling at five, six, eight, ten 10 times EBITDA, right? So when you go and you're getting ready to sell a practice, it's a great thing to do because the other thing too is at the end of the day, People want to buy projects. They don't want to buy projects. They want to buy fixed up houses, right? Move in ready. And so you've taken the time to do the hard work. You've reaped the benefit both administratively and financially plus on the sale, right? And then it's more attractive because people want, want a move in ready house, right? So they're getting, they're getting a move in ready practice. Uh, well, I, I, and I'm so glad you, you brought up the house analogy, Nick, because something really strange happens with people who own houses. And, and if you own a house, you may have something on that house that isn't working so well. You may have that front door that needs to be fixed, or you may have that new coat of paint that the house needs, or, or that flooring or kitchen upgrade that you've always wanted to do. And you sit around and you never get to it until you're ready to sell the house. 
then you're finally fixing everything up and you're going to move out and you're not going to get to enjoy a single thing you did on that house. It's all for right. someone else, right? How much better is it just to fix these things as they come up? That way you get to enjoy the benefits now and when you sell the place. So, so right, this is a great opportunity to be fixing up your practice, streamlining it, making it more attractive. You're going to have more fun in business when things are streamlined. You're going to have more fun when you've got more income coming in so you can buy that equipment you want so that you can fund those retirement plans so that you can give back to the staff and, and make that difference. And so this is right. I don't want anyone listening to you. I don't want you to just think this is just a simple strategy. This really is holistic planning that ties in with everything that you're doing. And that's why I think Nick is such a fantastic partner, such a, a great company out there in terms of what they do. And so Nick, some closing thoughts for us. You know, I would just tell you, I, I think, um, I think it's, it's an exciting, I say these things and I don't mean to be pessimistic. I'm, I'm probably one of the most optimistic people you'll ever meet. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a cheerleader. I, I want you to be successful. And so uh, what that requires is, is, a, is a good plan, right? It, it's a good financial plan. It's a good business plan. It's a good marketing plan. It's a good insurance plan. You need the right plans to be able to go after, you know, with your, after your goals and, and achieve your goals. And so I, I would just tell you this, the business of dentistry is going to be increasingly important. The game is getting a little bit more difficult than it was 10, 20 years ago. Right. And so uh, I don't say that to scare you. I say that to challenge you because most dentists I know love to learn. And so this is a great opportunity to dive in and learn and, and immerse yourself in all these functions of business, in marketing, in the revenue cycle, in operations, in technology. Right. There's so many changes coming out. I'm reading all about teledentistry and AI and the impact that these are, you know, there's so many things at the forefront. Um, you know, and there's, if you decide to have multiple practices, I've seen so many doctors uh, do this where they add practices and then, you know, there's the complexity and the, and the practice management and the scaling that has to happen, you know, and it's just, um, there's tons of challenges out there for the hungry, for the, for those who'd like to learn uh, and, and immerse themselves in it. So I, I'm, I'm a big cheerleader. I think the business of dentistry is really important. Uh, and uh, if there's anything we can do to help, by all means, please reach out. Uh, and we wish you nothing but absolute most health and health and happiness and success. Yeah. How can we get a hold of you? So uh, probably the best way to do that, you can go to our website. It's www.5fivelakespropro.com. So fivelakespro.com. And then if you can send me an email, if you'd like, uh, my email is nicholas, N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dot partridge, like partridge in a pear tree at fivelakespro.com. So you, you can reach us that way. Uh, and then we'll be happy to, uh, to circle up with you. Excellent. And, and then what's really kind of the, the first steps once someone's contact you? Do you do an analysis? Do you do some kind of overview? What does that look like? Yeah, the first thing we want, we want to get to know you, right? We want to know where you're at, what, what your goals are. Um, you know, what have you done in the past? Um, you know, what, what, what's the current lay of the land? So uh, we'll, we'll want to customize a solution for you, right? So we don't just jam you into a, a some kind of a package or something like that. So we want to really find out, you know, what you're looking to accomplish, what you've done, and kind of where you're at to figure out what might be the right first step. And then usually it involves some kind of an analysis to figure, you know, to figure that out. And then we sit down and kind of lay out all your options for you. 
Well, excellent. Well, hey, I'm Tim McNeely. I've been talking with Nick Partridge of Five Lakes Dental Pro. And I'll tell you what an incredible, incredible conversation we've had. We, we, we've taken a deep dive into just the world of insurance and all the networks that are out there. Talked about the importance of, of finding the right ones. But, but really, you know, I'm walking away feeling empowered because like you mentioned, this is a David and Goliath battle out there. And we want you empowered to make strong financial choices for your patients, for your family, for the people that matter so that you can keep it getting out there and changing the world for the better. So don't just listen to this, take action. That, that, that's the other thing that Dan Sullivan would tell you. That's the biggest thing. We can talk about these things all day long, but it's up to you to get out there and make your dream practice a reality. Once again, thanks for tuning in. I'm Tim McNeely and I'm in your corner.